So, uh, um, continuing from uh, part one of reading the horse and his boy, uh, we're going to continue reading. Holding his breath and feeling a little bit sorry, but much less sorry than he was glad. Shasta glided away over the grass and went to the donkey stable, groped along to a place he knew where the key was hidden, opened the door and found the horse's saddle and bridle, which had been locked up there for the night. He bent work, he bent forward and kissed the donkey's nose. I'm sorry we can't take you, he said. There you are at last, said the horse when he got back to it. I was beginning to wonder what had become of you. I was getting your things out of the stable, replied Shasta, and now can you tell me how to put them on? For the next few minutes, for the next few minutes, Shasta was at work very cautiously to avoid to avoid jingling, jingling, while the horse said things like, while the horse said things like, get that girth a bit tighter, or you'll find a buckle lower down, or you'll need to shorten those stirrups a good bit. When all was finished, it said, now we got to have, when all was finished, it said, now we've got to have reins for the look of the thing, but you won't be using them. The, tie them to the saddle. Tie them to the saddle bow, very slack, so that I can do what I like with my head, and remember you are not to touch them. What are they for then? asked Shasta. Ordinarily, they are for directing me, replied the horse. But as I intend to do all the directing on this journey, but as I intend to do all the directing on this journey, you'll you'll please keep your hands to yourself. And there's another thing. I'm not going to have you grabbing my mane, but I say, pleaded Shasta. If I'm not to hold on by the reins or by your mane, what am I to hold on by? You hold on with your knees, said the horse. That's the secret of good riding. Grip my body between your knees as hard as you like. Sit straight up, straight as a poker. Keep your elbows in. And by the way, what did you do with the spurs? What did you do with the spurs? Put them on my heels, of course, said Shasta. I do know that much. Then you can take them off. Then you can take them off and put them in the saddle bag. We may be able to sell them when we get to talk to Tash to Tashban. Ready? And now, I think you can get up. Ooh, you're a dreadful height, gasped, gasped Shasta after his first and unsuccessful attempt. I'm a horse. I'm a horse. That's all. Was the reply. Anyone would think I was a haystack from the way you're trying to climb up me. There, that's better. Now sit up and remember what I told you about your knees. Funny to think of me, who have led cavalry charges and won races, having a potato sack like you in the saddle. But off we go. It chuckled, not unkindly. And it certainly began their night journey with great caution. First of all, First of all, it went just south of the fisherman's cottage to the little river 
which there ran into the sea, and took care to leave in the mud some very plain hoof marks, hoof marks, pointing south. But as soon as they were in the middle of the ford, it turned upstream and waited till they were about a hundred yards further in, in, inland than the cottage. Then it selected a nice gravelly bit of bank, which would take no footprints and came out on the northern side. Then still at a walking pace, it went northward till the cottage, the one tree, the donkey's stable, and the creek, everything in fact that Shasta had ever known had sunk out of sight in the gray summer night darkness. They had been going uphill and now we're at the top of the and now we're at the top of the ridge. That ridge would have which which had always been the boundary of Shasta's known world. He could not see what was ahead, except that it was all open and grassy. It looked endless, wild and lonely and free. I say, observed the horse. What a place for a gallop, eh? Oh, don't. Let's, said Shasta. Not yet. I don't know how to. Please, horse. I don't know your name. Brihi, hini, brini, hu, hu, he, hu, ha, said the horse. I'll never be able to say that, said, said Shasta. Can I call you Bri? Well, if it's the best you can do, I suppose you must. Must, said the horse. And what shall I call you? I'm called Shasta. Hmm, said Bree. Well, now, there's a name that's very hard to pronounce. I know, right, horse? But now about this gallop. It's a good deal easier than trotting, if you only knew, because you don't have to rise and fall. Grip with your knees and keep your eyes straight ahead between my ears. Don't look at the ground. If you think you're going to fall, just grip harder and sit up straighter. Ready? Now for Narnia and the North. That was the end of chapter one. Now, chapter two, a wayside adventure. It was nearly noon on the following day when Shasta was wakened by something warm and soft moving over his face. He opened his eyes and found himself staring into the long face of a horse. Its nose and lips were almost touching his. He remembered the exciting events of the previous night and sat up, but as he did, so he groaned. Aubrey, he gasped, he gasped. He's so sore. I'm so sore. All over. I can hardly move. Good morning, small one, said Bree. I was afraid you might feel a bit stiff. It can't be the falls. You didn't have more than a dozen or so, and it was all lovely, soft, springy turf that must have been almost a pleasure to fall on. And the only one that might have been nasty was broken by that gorse bush. No, it's the riding itself that comes hard at first. What about breakfast? I've had mine. Oh, bother breakfast. Bother everything, said Shasta. I tell you, I can't move. But the horse nuzzled at him with its nose and pawed him gently with a hoof till he had to get up. Then take a sip of water.
real for a second. Excuse me. And then he looked about him and saw where they were. Behind them lay a little corpse. Or, my bad. Behind them lay a little copse. Cups. Copsy. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce that word. Before them, before them, the turf dotted with white flowers sloped down to the brow of a cliff far below them so that the sound of the breaking waves was very faint, lay the sea. Shasta had never seen it from such a height and never seen so much of it before, nor dreamed how many colors it had on on either hand. The coast, the coast stretched away, headland after headland, and at the points you could see the white foam running up the rocks, but making no noise because it was so far off. There were gulls flying overhead, and the heat shivered on the ground. It was a blazing day, but what Shasta chiefly noticed was the air. He couldn't think what was missing until at last he realized that there was no smell of fish in it, for, of course, neither in the cottage nor among the nets had he ever been away from that smell in his life. And that, and this new air was so delicious, and all his old life seemed so far away that he forgot for, for a moment about his bruises and his aching muscles and said, I say, Bree, didn't you say something about breakfast? Yes, I did, answered Bree. I think you'll... Find something in the saddlebags. They're over there on that tree where you hung them up last night, or earlier this morning, rather. They investigated the saddlebags, and the results were cheering. A meat pasty, only slightly stale, a lump of dried figs, and another lump of green cheese. Green cheese? Ew. Green green cheese? All right, we're moving on. A little flask, a little flask of wine, and some money, about forty crescents in all, which was more than Shasta had ever seen. While Shasta sat down, painfully and cautiously, with his back against a tree, and started on the pasty, on the pasty, Bree had a few more mouthfuls of grass to keep him company. Won't it be stealing to use the money? Asked Shasta. Oh, said the horse, looking up with its mouth full of grass. I never thought of that. A free horse and a talking horse mustn't steal, of course. But I think it's all right. We're prisoners and captives in enemy country. That money is booty. (laughs) (coughs) Sorry. That money is booty. Spoil. Besides, how are we to get any food for for you without it? I suppose, like all humans, you won't eat natural food like grass and oats. I can't. Ever tried? Yes, I have. I can't get it down at all. You couldn't either if you were me. You rum, you're rum, little creatures. You humans, remarked Bree. When Shasta had finished... His breakfast, which which was by far the nicest he had ever eaten, 
Bree said, I think I'll have a nice roll before we put on that saddle again. And he proceeded to do so. That's good. That's very good, he said, rubbing his back on the turf and waving all four legs in the air. You ought to have one too, Shasta, he snorted. It's most refreshing. Excuse me. But Shasta burst out laughing and said, You do look funny when you're on your back. I look nothing of the sort, said Bree. But then suddenly he rolled around on his side, raised his head, and looked hard at Shasta, blowing a little. Does it really look funny? He asked in an anxious voice. Yes, it does, replied Shasta. But what does it matter? You don't think, do you? Said Bree, that it might be a thing talking horses never do. A silly clownish trick he learned from the dumb ones. It would be dreadful to find when I get back to Narnia that I've picked up a lot of low, bad habits. What do you think, Shasta? Honestly, honestly now, don't spare my feelings. Should you think the real free horses, the talking kind, do roll? How should I know? Anyway, I don't think I should bother about it if I were you. We've got to get there first. Do you know the way? I know my way to Tashban. After that comes the desert. Oh, we'll manage the desert somehow. Never fear. Why, we'll be in sight of the northern mountains then. Think of it. To Narnia and the north? Nothing will stop us then. But I'd be glad to be past Tashban. You and I are safer away from cities. Can't we avoid it? Not without going a long way inland. And that would take us into cultivate into cultivated land and main roads, and I wouldn't know the way. No, we'll just have to creep along the coast, along the coast, up here on the downs. We'll meet nothing but sheep and rabbits and gulls and a few shepherds. And by the way, what about starving? Shasta's legs ached terribly as he saddled Bree and climbed into the saddle. But the horse was kindly to him and went at a soft pace all afternoon. When evening twilight came, they dropped by steep tracks into a valley and found a village. Before they got into it, Shasta dismounted and entered it on foot to buy a loaf and some onions and radishes. The horse trotted round by the fields in the the dusk and met Shasta at at the far side. This became their regular plan every second night. These were great days for Shasta, and every day better than the last, as his muscles hardened, hardened, and he fell less off, less often. Even at the end of his training, Bree still said he sat like a bag of flour in the saddle, and even if it wa- and even if it was safe, young Un, I'd be ashamed to be seen with you on the main road. But in spite of his rude words. Bree was a patient teacher, was a patient teacher. No one can teach writing as well as, no one can teach writing so well as a horse. Shasta learned to trot, to canter, to jump, and to keep his seat, even when Bree pulled up suddenly or swung unexpectedly to the left or the right, which, as Bree told him, was a thing you might have to do at any moment in a battle. And then, of course, Shasta begged to be told of the battles 
and wars in which Bree had carried the Tarkon, the Tarkon, and Bree would tell of forced marches and the fording of swift rivers of charges and of fierce fights between cavalry and cavalry when the ho- when the war horses fought as well as the men, being all fierce stallions, trained to bite and kick and to rear at the right moment so that the horse's weight as well as the riders would come down on an enemy's crest in the stroke of sword or battle axe. But Bree did not want to talk about the wars as often as Shasta wanted to hear about them. Don't speak of them, youngster, he would say. They were only the Tishrach's wars, and I fought in them as a slave and a dumb beast. Give me the Narnian wars. Well, sure, give me the Narnian wars. Well, I shall fight as a free horse among my own people. Those will be wars worth... Those will be wars worth talking about. Narnia and the North. Brahaha. Bruhu. Shasta soon learned. Soon learned when he heard Bree talking like that to prepare for a gallop. After they had traveled on for weeks and weeks past more bays and headlands and rivers and villages than Shasta could remember, there came a moonlight, a moonlit night when they started their journey at evening. Having slept during the day, they had left the, the downs behind them and were crossing a wide plain with a forest about half a mile away on their left. The sea hidden by low sand hills was about the same distance on the right. They had jogged along for almost an hour, sometimes trotting, sometimes trotting and sometimes walking, when Bree suddenly stopped. What's up, said Shasta. Shh, said Bree, craning his neck round and twitching his ears. Did you hear something? Listen. It sounds like another horse between us and the wood," said said Shasta, after he had listened for about after he had listened for about a minute. It is another horse," said Bree, "and that's why I don't like. Isn't it probably just a farmer riding home late?" said Shasta with a with a yawn. "Don't tell me," said Bree. "That's not. That's not a farmer's riding, nor a farmer's horse either." Can't you tell by the sound? That's quality. That that horse is, and it's been ridden by a real horseman. I'll tell you what it is, Shasta. There's a Tarkon under the edge of that wood. Not on his war horse. It's too light for that. On a fine blood mare, I should say. Well, it stops now, whatever it is. Whatever it is, said Shasta. You're right, said Bree. And why should he stop? Um, and why should he stop just when we do, Shasta, my boy? I do believe there's someone shadowing us at last. Well, what shall we do? Said Shasta. In a lower whisper than before. Do you think he can see us as well as hear us? Not in this light, so long as we stay quiet still. Ignore that no that that noise. That brief noise that was in the background. Not in this light so long as we stay quite, quite still. Quite still, answered Bree. But look, there's a cloud coming up. I'll wait till that gets over the moon. 
and we'll get off to our right as quietly as we can down to the shore. We can hide among the sand hills if the worst comes to the worst. They waited till the cloud covered the moon and then first at a, at a walking pace and afterward at a gentle trot made for the shore. The cloud was bigger and thicker than it had looked at first and soon the night grew very dark. Just as Shasta was saying to himself, we must be nearly at those sand hills by now. His heart leaped into his mouth because an appalling noise had suddenly risen out of the darkness ahead. A long snarling roar, m melancholy and utterly savage. Instantly, Bree swerved around and began galloping inland again as fast as he could gallop. What is it, gasped Shasta? Lion, said Bree, without checking his pace or turning his head. After, after that, there was nothing but sheer galloping for some time. At last, they splashed across across a wide, shallow stream, and Bree came to a stop on the far side. Shasta noticed that he was trembling and sweating all over. That water may have thrown the brute off our scent, panted Bree, when he, when he had partly got his breath again. We can walk for a bit now. As they walked, Bree said, Shasta, I'm ashamed of myself. I'm just as frightened as a common dumb Kaloyman horse. I'm real. I am really. I don't feel like a talking horse, a talking horse at all. I don't mind swords and lances and arrows, but I can't bear those creatures. I think I'll trot for a bit. About a minute later, however, about a minute later, though, he broke into a gallop again, and no wonder, for the roar broke out again. This time on their left, from the direction of the forest, two of them moaned, Bree, when they had galloped for several minutes without any further noise from the lions. Shasta said, I say, that other horse is galloping beside us now. Only a stone's throw away. All the better, panted Bree, talking on it. We'll have a sword. Protect us all. But Bree said, Shasta, we might just as well be killed by lions as caught. When, or I might, they'll hang me for horse stealing. He was feeling less frightened of lions than Bree because he had never met a lion. Bree had. Bree only snorted in answer, but he did shear away to his right. Oddly enough, the other horse seemed also to be shearing away to the left, so that in a few seconds the space between them had widened good deal. But as soon as it did so, there came two more lions roars. But as soon as it did so, there came two more lions' roars. Immediately after one another, one on the right and the other on the left, the horses began drawing nearer together. So apparently did the lions. The roaring of the brutes on each side, the roaring of the brutes on each side was horribly was horribly close, and they seemed to be keeping up with the galloping horses quite easily. Then the cloud rolled away. The moonlight. Astonishingly bright, showed up everything almost as if it were broad day. The two horses and two riders were galloping neck to neck and knee to knee, just as if they were in a race. Indeed, Bree said afterward that a finer race had never been seen in Kalorman. Shasta now gave himself up. Shasta now gave himself up for lost and began to wonder whether lions killed you quickly or played with you as a cow as a cat plays with a mouse, and how much it would hurt. At the same time, one sometimes does this at the most frightful moments. He noticed everything. He saw that the other rider, the other rider, was a very small, slender person, male clad. The moon shone on the male, 
and writing magnificently. He had no beard. Something flat and shining was spread out before them. Before Shasta had time to even suggest what it, what, it, what it was, there was a good splash, and he found his mouth half full of salt water. The shining thing had been a long inlet of the sea. Both horses were swimming, and the water was up to Shasta's knees. There was an angry roaring behind them, and looking back, Shasta saw a great shaggy and terrible shape crouched on the water's edge, but only one we must have shaken off the other line, he thought. The lion apparently did not think its prey worth a wedding. At any rate, it made no attempt to take to the, to take to the water in pursuit. The two horses side by side were now well out into the middle of the creek, and the opposite shore could be clearly seen. The Tarkan had not yet spoken a word, but he will, thought Shasta. As soon as we have landed, what am I to say? I must begin thinking out a story. Then suddenly two voices spoke at the side. Oh, I am so tired, said the one. Hold your tongue, Hawin, and don't be a fool, said the other. I'm dreaming, thought Shasta. I could have sworn that other horse spoke. Soon the horses were no longer swimming, but walking in soon with a great sound of water, running off their sides and tails, and with a great crunching of pebbles under eight ho hooves. hooves. They came out on the, further, on the farther beach of the inlet. The Tarkan, to Shasta's surprise, showed no wish to ask questions. He did, he did not even look at Shasta, but seemed anxious to urge his horse straight on. Bree, however, at once shouldered himself in the other horse's way. Bru-hoo-ha, he snorted. Steady there. I heard you, I did. There's no good pretending, ma'am. I heard you. You're a talking horse, a onion horse, just like me. What's it got to do with you if she is? Said the strange, strange rider fiercely, laying hand on sword hilt. But the voice in which the words were spoken had already told Shasta something. Why, it's only a girl, he exclaimed. And what business is it of yours if I am only a girl, snapped the stranger. You're probably only a boy, a rude, common, a rude, common little boy, a slave probably, who's stolen his master's horse. That's all you know, said Shasta. He's not a thief, little Tarkina, little Tarkina said Bree, at least if there's been any stealing, you might just as well say I stole him. And, that, and as for it's not being my business, you wouldn't expect me to pass a lady of my own race in this strange country without speaking to her. It's only natural I should. I think it's very unnatural too, said the mayor. I, w I, w I, I wish you'd hold your tongue, Hoen, said the girl. Look at the trouble you got, got us into. I don't know about trouble said Shasta. You can clear off as soon as you like. We shan't keep you. No, you shan't, said the girl. What quarrelsome creatures those humans are, said Bree to the mare. They're as bad as mules. Let's try to talk a little sense. I'll take it, ma'am. I, I take it, ma'am. Your story is the same as mine. Captured in early youth, years of slavery among the Kalormans. True, true, sir, said the mare with a melancholy whinny. And now perhaps escape. Tell him to mind his own business, Huin, said the girl. No, I won't, Aravis, said the mayor, putting her ears back. This is my escape just as much as yours. And I'm sure a noble war horse like this is not going to betray us. We're going we're trying to escape to get to Narnia, and so of course are we, said Bree. Of course you you guessed 
that at once a little boy in rags riding and trying to ride a war horse at dead of night couldn't mean anything but an escape of some sort. And if I may say so, a high-born Harkina riding alone at night dressed up in her brother's armor and very anxious for everyone to mind their own business and ask her no questions. Well, if that's not fishy, call, call me a cob. All right, then, said Aravis. You guessed it, Hawin. And Hawin and I are running away. We are trying to get to Narnia. And now what about it? Why, in that case, what is to prevent... What is to prevent us all going together, said Bree. I trust, Madam Hoen, you accept you will accept such ex, ex, as, assist you will accept such assistance and protection as I may be, as I may be able to give you on the journey. Why do you keep talking to my horse instead of to me? asked the girl. Excuse me, Tarkina, said Bree, with just the slightest backward tilt of his ears. But that's Kalorman talk. We're free Narnians, Hwin and I, and I suppose if you're running away to Narnia, you want to be one too. In that case, Hwin isn't your horse any longer. One might just as well say you're her human. The girl opened her mouth to speak and then stopped. Obviously, she had not quite seen it in that light before. Still, she said after a moment's pause, I don't know that there's so much point in all going together. Aren't we more likely to be noticed? Less, said Bree, and the mayor said, oh, do let's. I should, I should feel much more comfortable with when I... Even certain of the way, I'm sure a great charge, charger like this knows far more than we do. Oh, come on, Bree said Shasta, and let them go their own way. Can't you see they, they don't want us? We do, said Hawin. Look here, said the girl. I don't mind going with you, Mr. Warhorse, but what about this boy? How do I know he's not a spy? Why don't you say at once that you think I'm not good enough for you, said Shasta. Be quiet, Shasta, said Bree. The Tarquina's question is quite reasonable. I vouch for the boy, Tarquina. He's been true to me, the good friend, and he's certainly either a Narnian or an Archlander. All right, all right, then. Let's go together. But she didn't say anything to Shasta, and it was obvious that she wanted Bree, not him. All right, let's finish up this chapter and then add it to the... Yeah, let's finish up the previous the previous chapter. All right, continuing on. Splendid, said Bree. And now that we've got the water between us and those dreadful animals, what about you two humans taking off our saddles and all an hour all having a rest and hearing one another's stories? Both the children unsaddled their horses, and the horses have a little grass. And Aravis proceeded rather nice things to eat from her saddle to eat from her saddlebag, but Shasta sulked and said no thanks, and that he wasn't hungry, and he tried to put on what he thought very grand and stiff manners, but as a fisherman's hut is not usually a good place for learning grand manners, the result was dreadful, and he half knew that it wasn't a sucks, and he half knew that it wasn't a, that it wasn't a success, and then became sulkier and more awkward than ever. Meanwhile, the two horses were getting on splendid splendidly. They remembered the very same places in Narnia and the grasslands up above Beaver's Dam and found that they were some sort of second cousins once removed. This made things more and more uncomfortable for the humans until at last Bree said, and now Tarkina, Tarkina, tell us your story and don't hurry it. I'm feeling comfortable now. Aravis immediately began sitting quiet, still and using a rather different tone and style from her usual one. Her usual one, for in Kalorman, storytelling, whether the stories are true or made up, 
is a thing you're taught. Just as English boys and girls are taught essay writing, the difference is that the difference is that people want to hear the stories, whereas I never heard of anyone who wanted to read the essays. All right, and that'll be the end of that'll be the end of chapter two. Uh, so uh, yeah, uh, that that that's the end of chapter two for the horse and his boy, and uh, if I can. Read if I find an opportunity to continue reading tomorrow, then we'll do chapter four tomorrow. So, uh, see you later. Bye.